we're being groomed to have all of this stuff happen in our head, including those love chemicals firing off and making us feel like we can't live without this. It also rings true in the process of conversion because when you really break it down to brass tacks, it's a three-step process. We are romanced into wanting a relationship with Christ. And this is done by all kinds of means, by sweet words, sweet music, all the kinds of cliches that you think about when you think about somebody trying to seduce someone. And they use all of it. They just contextualize it differently so it doesn't look like it, but that's precisely what they are doing. They're romancing you into wanting this relationship. I honestly believe that this is part of the reason why so many people keep going back to the altar to rededicate their lives because yeah. they want to recapture a little bit of that new relationship energy that they knew when they first got saved. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers and free thinkers there is life after faith and life here is good it's time for a new perspective and a better conversation i'm spider and i'm shell and it's time to get unbound so funny thing i found jesus's dating profile and it's definitely worth a look name jesus aka yesh Age from everlasting to everlasting. Location, omnipresent. Hobbies, carpentry, winemaking, boardless paddleboarding, public speaking, and civil disobedience. It hmm. sounds like a well-rounded guy. Ideal date, a good hard nailing on Friday night and sleeping till Sunday. Ooh, that <sighs> sounds kinky. I could feel a new circle open up in hell with that one. <laughs> Special talents, behold, I come quickly. And there goes another one. <sighs> Looking for men and women looking to experience true paradise. Jesus's ideal match. Those who are weary and heavy laden. Extra points if you have low self-esteem or low sex appeal. I'm aching to be inside you. Come unto me and be filled. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. <laughs> the way you said that. Oh, and the way you're looking that, at me right now, it's not oh, like you didn't God. read it ahead of time. No, I did. The, the last part was a kind of a surprise. I think you might have changed that. I up. might have updated the language you just a little have. bit. Just a little. Just a little bit. I think this flows better than what I had. And <laughs> I think it segues well into explaining what our topic is for tonight. And we're going to be talking about this weird, creeptastic concept of falling in love with Jesus. Mm. And this was something that I heard a lot back in the day. Yep. It's a phrase that I've used. Let's just put it out there. It's a phrase that I have used to describe myself and my own experience, this thing called evangelical Christianity. But before we get into that, I do believe my co-host has a couple of really good stories to round out our Christians Behaving Badly segment. So I'm just going to go ahead and send it right over to Shell. What have you got for us this week? Well, I was reading last week about someone who said that the Bible was like a group of Florida man stories. Florida man washes up on shore, says he spent several days in the belly of a large fish. Florida man says, my donkey talked to me. Local Florida man prophet has some bad weed, swears his prophecy is totally going to come true one day. What is this bad weed you speak of? I've never seen any such thing. Hmm. But both of our Christians behaving badly stories tonight come from Florida, which is probably not a great shock. Nah, no, not really. Not really. In the most Florida story to ever Florida, a couple planned their wedding at a beautiful, luxurious mansion with only one thing standing in their way, the owner. That's a big thing. That is a big thing, especially when you don't own the place. Apparently, Courtney Wilson and Shanita Jones invited family and friends to their dream home and estate for a whole ass wedding celebration which included the ceremony on saturday and a sunday brunch here's the problem they didn't get permission from the actual owner of the property their argument was that it was god's will they get married there and let's be clear the man in this situation posed as a prospective buyer at an open house and asked if they could have the wedding there and was told no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Florida man. Here's the <laughs> word no. Does it mean no? No. No almost never means no in the minds of these people, especially when they've got it in their heads that, that what they're doing is God's do. will. Yes. 
But they all went right ahead, made and sent elaborate invitations to the mansion that they didn't own and didn't have permission to use for a two-day wedding celebration, which included a Sunday brunch. That's the crazy part. They weren't even just trying to break in to do the ceremony. They wanted this place for two fucking days. Yes. It's just weird because, like, they didn't have permission to use any of the property. On the contrary, they were told not to use it. Right. Specifically told not to use it for the wedding. But God said to use it, so I guess it's okay to use it, right? Yes. The detailed invitations described their love story and how they had been reunited via divine intervention 30 years after meeting in high school. They requested guests join them for the ceremony and reception that would last until after midnight on Saturday. They would then return to the mansion on Sunday for an afternoon brunch. Sounds idyllic. Yeah, sounds like a great time, and the property is beautiful. I saw a picture. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, I I looked at it, too. Who could blame them? The property came equipped with a bowling alley, a swimming pool with a waterfall, hot tub, tennis courts, a gazebo, and an 800-foot bar. Wilson said it was God's plan that the couple marry there. They liked the place. They liked it. That's it. Well, of course they did. That's it. It's a gorgeous place. I mean, I wouldn't mind going there for a B&B. If I was the owner, then I might Airbnb at least part of it. Yeah. And I might even rent it out for purposes like this. Right. But I wouldn't want squatters showing up and, you know, setting up chairs and things for a wedding. It's a good thing that. No. I mean, it was behind a gate. Okay. So they couldn't get in anyway because the gate was locked because it was the morning of the wedding and they're trying to get in to set up so the owner of course upon seeing people trying to get into the property to set up the wedding immediately called the police saying i have people trespassing on my property and they keep harassing me calling me they say they're having a wedding here and it's god's message i don't know what's going on all i want is for it to stop and they're sitting at my property at the front gate right now I can see this in my head. That's the crazy part. Looks like that scene in Oh God. You remember that? When yeah. after he does the TV interview, everyone knows where he lives. And every religious nutter from miles around is yes. like on their front lawn. <laughs> yeah. That's what I feel like this had to have looked like, except they were all in wedding clothes. They were all in formal attire yeah and trying to get into the estate well luckily it was just like the groom and probably a couple of his friends trying to come and set up right but when police arrived they told wilson to leave and he did apparently without incident no report on if the couple actually tied the knot oh i'm sure they did they just did it someplace where they were like allowed to be they're lucky that they didn't get arrested or have any other kind of legal entanglement yeah apparently there's no charges being pressed the guy just wanted them to leave he's like having his morning coffee yeah just because the property is up for sale it's like seven million dollars for this mansion but just because it's for sale doesn't mean he's not living there or that anyone else has the right, right to be on that property unless they're a realtor or they're checking out the property to buy it. Right. In which case you call the realtor and set up a viewing. You don't just show up. Yeah. And you don't expect to stay for two days. No. That's the weirdest part. I'm like, you really thought that even if you could get in there and have the ceremony, that you'd really be staying till three o'clock in the morning. And then coming back for a brunch. But these are evangelicals, obviously. Obviously. So, I mean, this doesn't even faze me to think of them doing something like this because they've got it into their head that this is something that God wanted. And, I mean, with all due respect, delusion is the capstone of the way they think. Yeah. So this really doesn't surprise me. It just, it, it has a comical look to it. Yeah. Inside my head. But... It was actually a lot less ornate in nature than I was making it out to be in my head. You know, guys showing up. Hey, can we come in and set up the wedding? No. Okay. And they just sort of, they you just know, sort of we'll left. go get married someplace and else. I'm just sort of like, you, how many people are coming to this thing? And 
I mean, really, because they sent out invitations. They printed invitations with this place on the invitation. Yes. What's and, wrong? And no, I'm not even going to ask I mean, what's wrong with these just, people. I know what's wrong with them. They're touting it as their dream home and estate. Yes, I'm sure. Keep dreaming. Dream it's on. $7 million. Mm-hmm. Oh, ask God for the money. Well, God could not be reached for comment. No, no really? No. This other story I have. Is kind of weird because I am not sure if these people are actually evangelical, but they are definitely weird. But it's, it's the type of thing they would buy into. It is. It's like all of these like conservative people are like saying, oh, this stuff works great. And it doesn't matter whether they're evangelical or not. That's how they're branding it. Yeah. We'll get to that yeah. in a sec. So the Bleach Church gets indicted. I'm going to say, obviously, that. I don't know if these people are true evangelicals, but they are certainly using evangelicalism as a shield for a faith-based scam. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the Florida-based Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing, otherwise known as the Bleach Church Colloquialist. Do they they go by that? They do not. Voluntarily? They do not, but it's basically a shorthand for that long church name that makes no sense. They've been around for a while. I found a news report from 2016 from a Los Angeles news station that did a series of stories about the church. Here's a quote from the first story. The Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing believes that MMS, which is essentially industrial bleach, is a religious sacrament. Their founder, Jim Humble, is a former Scientologist who claims he's a billion-year-old god from the Andromeda galaxy. Because of course he is. Because of course he is. And then I asked to be put in the part of the Space Navy that watched over the Earth. Humble, the self-proclaimed Archbishop of the Genesis II Church of Health and Healing, claims in a video. He also claims he discovered the miracle potion in the jungles of South America. Lots of bleach in South America, I of guess. Of course there is. I just treated 800 cases of HIV just recently in Africa, and every one of them came out good, Humble is heard stating in another video. That doesn't say he cured it. It just says just that it, it came, came out, out good. came out good. For him. For him. Eyewitness News met Archbishop Mark Grennan, who was peddling the potion at a Genesis 2 seminar in Costa Mesa back in January. Tell them Jesus heals you while you drink this, our cameras captured Grennan telling the seminar. Believers said the Miracle Mineral Solution, or MMS, is their religious sacrament. They believe it's a cure for many illnesses and diseases, from cancer to HIV, autism, leukemia, the common cold, and even hair loss. Because of course it does. Any snake oil out there is going to be a cure-all for basically anything. Right. He wrote me, I coughed up a tumor, Grennan read to the seminar. The doctor was flabbergasted. The tumor is gone. So much proof. Yeah. I'm, so that's, much. I'm, I'm convinced. I'm totally convinced. But looks like the jig is up for the church, which the founders have admitted is not really a church. Nah. The following is from the press release by the Department of Justice at the Southern District of Florida. Defendants accused of attempting to avoid government regulation by selling products through a company they deceptively named Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing. A federal grand jury in Miami has returned an indictment charging a Florida man. There's There's that that phrase. phrase. (laughs) Ooh, you owe me a Coke. (laughs) Mark Grennan, 62, and his three sons, Jonathan Grennan, 34, Jordan Grennan, 26, and Joseph Grennan, 32, with fraudulently marketing and selling Miracle Mineral Solution, a toxic industrial bleach as a cure for COVID-19, cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, autism, malaria, hepatitis, Parkinson's, herpes, HIV AIDS, and and a partridge in a pear tree. And other serious medical conditions, and with defying federal court orders. Jonathan and Jordan Grennan were arrested last summer on related charges based on a criminal complaint filed by Miami federal prosecutors. According to the indictment, the Grennans, all of Bradenton, Florida, manufactured, promoted, and sold a product they named Miracle Mineral Solution, or MMS. MMS 
is a chemical solution containing sodium chloride and water, which, when ingested orally, became chlorine dioxide, a powerful bleach typically used for industrial water treatment or for bleaching textiles, pulp, and paper. In prior official warning statements, the FDA had strongly urged consumers not to purchase or use MMS for any reason, explaining that drinking MMS was the same as drinking bleach and could cause dangerous side effects, including severe vomiting, diarrhea, and life-threatening low blood pressure. In fact, FDA received reports of people requiring hospitalizations, developing life-threatening conditions, and even dying after drinking MMS. No shit. Yeah, really. You drink bleach, you die. That's pretty much... In a large yeah. enough quantity. Yeah. And the way that they're describing this, it, it probably doesn't take a large quantity to do you in anyway. No, no. It's, <clears throat> it's probably like drops. I mean, really. And while this is bad enough on its face, there's also another danger. The indictment also charges the Grenons with criminal contempt. The United States previously filed a civil case against the defendants and Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing. In that civil case, the United States obtained court orders halting the Grenons' distribution of MMS. According to charging documents, the Grenons willfully violated those court orders and continued to distribute MMS. The Grenons also allegedly threatened the federal judge presiding over the civil case and threatened that should the government attempt to enforce the court orders halting their distribution of MMS, the Grenons would pick up guns and instigate a Waco. Oh, that's smart. Yes. That's always a smart thing to say. Yeah. So this just kind of shows you like how the respect for churches goes too far. Way too far. They're just allowed to do all of this stuff. Yeah, it's and like it's, we were talking about a few weeks ago when we did our episode on Christian charities. Right. And how so many of them set themselves up as churches, even to the point where they offer services and other things so that they can show that they're operating as a church. But it's nothing but a big front so that they can have a nice, comfy, little tax-sheltered operation. Yeah. That brings in the money and does absolutely no good for anybody and, in the case of something like this, actually hurts people. Yeah. I mean, it it destroys your stomach lining and your intestinal lining. It's not good. Drink enough of this and you will will die. Yeah. It's just terrible. Yeah. But, yeah, that's what I've got this week. Two cases, both in Florida, coincidentally. It didn't, I didn't mean to do a Florida thing, but it just happened. It's prime ground. There's definitely... A lot of fodder from Florida and whether it was intentioned or not there's just so much there's There's just so so much much that comes out of Florida that it doesn't surprise me at all no offense if you live in Florida I know that there are atheists and free thinkers and people with brains in Florida too but come on now come on (laughs) yeah when the internet steps in and basically creates a meme around this and says just put in just put florida man and your birthday into google yes and it works literally for everybody yeah then you know there's got to be something to it there's there's got to be something to the stereotype just a little bit a little bit there's just a lot going on (laughs) true true so two two good stories it never ceases to amaze me, not only the kind of shit these people pull, but just how you hear the same things over and over and over again. Right. God told me to come to your property and have my wedding, so here I am. Well, okay, God didn't send me the memo. And honestly, that's the entire story in a nutshell. These people show up, well, God told us to have our wedding here. Well, God didn't tell me any such thing, so can you fuck off? Okay, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then much. this whole business with the bleach, come on. What was Jim Baker's thing Jim... like a while back and the stuff that he was oh, selling? The and then, cl- of course, who yeah. was it? Uh, there was there was some high-ranking government official just not very long ago who was touting the benefits of things like bleach. Mm-hmm. That guy. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> don't like saying his name out loud. No, we don't like we'll, saying we'll his name. We'll just say a high-ranking government official. Yeah. Whose name escapes me or won't escape these lips if I can help it at all help it. Mm. 
So just before we get into our main topic, we want to let you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash unbound podcast network. If you have a fiver you can throw our way, then by all means, throw it. We could use it and we will put it to good use for you. If you don't have even a fiver to throw our way, but you appreciate what we're doing here, then tell somebody new about the show this week and keep listening and keep getting what you need from it. I'm going to make it that short and sweet this week. You know the quality of the content that we produce here, and you know how important it could be to somebody out there who may not have heard it before. So help us get the word out. Right now, I think it's time to just change gears and get right into our main topic. So falling in love with Jesus. Yep, you heard it right. Not just loving him, falling in love with him. I used to think I understood this concept pretty well, and it really didn't seem that weird to me at the time when we were in the thick of all this. Mm. And I will also go on record stating that I never once thought that I was in love with Jesus, but I've said it out loud. Oh, yeah. Just as a means of acceptance or going with the flow with the group that I was in. Mm. So I've claimed that this has happened to me, even though I never really believed it. And I also have to admit that even though I always say that nothing about these people surprises me, researching this subject actually did. I was floored at how well these people understand the psychology of falling in love and how artfully deceptive they are about presenting the gospel in a way that plays into our emotional tendencies when we fall in love. Make no mistake about it. When you accepted Christ, you were seduced by the gospel, and we're going to show you how in just a minute. So first, let's just answer the question, what is falling in love? It seems like a silly question because most of us have been there before, some more often than we ever wanted to, and that's all I've got to say about that. But from a purely mental health perspective, according to Psychology Today, people can fall in love over time, but most often it is sudden, developing quickly. It's called falling in love because it seems beyond control. Seems, it is. Yes. A little like falling down or tripping over something. It is not a voluntary process. And according to Science Daily, it only takes one-fifth of a second to fall in love. I feel like I've got it beat. At least once or twice, I feel like I've got that time frame beat. For Christians, there's a lot of crosstalk, pardon the pun, when it comes to what relationships are and what they look like. But let's look at kind of this progression of thought. We're told that we're, quote, in a relationship with Christ and that this is a loving relationship. We're told that there is no greater love out there than the love of Jesus. We're told that we have individual value in this relationship. And we are invited to enter a relationship with Christ that will protect us from things like death and hell. Many are terrified at the concept of hell and being slaves to sin. Jesus has come, quote, to take us away from all that. There's that cliched phrase that you heard in like every cartoon in, you know, from the 40s forward when someone's trying to woo a woman, basically, let me take you away from all this. And that's basically, I mean, in a nutshell, isn't that the message of the gospel? You know, accept Christ and let him take you away from all of this. It also rings true in the process of conversion, because when you really break it down to brass tacks, it's a three-step process. We are romanced into wanting a relationship with Christ. And this is done by all kinds of means, by sweet words, sweet music, all the kinds of cliches that you think about when you think about somebody trying to seduce someone. And they use all of it. They just contextualize it differently so it doesn't look like it, but that's precisely what they are doing. They're romancing you into wanting this relationship. And then we're seduced by the message of the gospel, and then we give ourselves to Jesus. I challenge anyone to tell me that there's more to it than that, or that it doesn't involve these things, because it absolutely does. And when this happens, since our brain thinks it all revolves around a person and not a bunch of poorly penned text, which is all Jesus is, Mm -hmm. it starts producing chemicals that feel exactly the same as being in love. It fires off high levels of dopamine and norepinephrine, 
our hearts race, our bodies tingle, we get butterflies and goosebumps, we start breathing heavier and become very, very open to suggestion. We start craving closeness and intimacy, security and comfort, and all of it directed at this abstract concept called Jesus that our brains now can't unwrap from believing to be real. And that's all before the actual altar call. All of this starts flying around in our heads before we're even asked to make the decision to accept Christ. We're being groomed to have all of this stuff happen in our head, including those love chemicals firing off and making us feel like we can't live without this. And I'm sorry, I've seen plenty of new Christians. I mean, like minutes or hours or days after they make that decision and new Christians act like they are in love. And you know what? I know I did. Yeah. I totally did. We're taught to think in these terms, even if many pastors shy away from this concept and the smart ones kind of do. But if you are one of these types of people who's prone to thinking like this, then it doesn't matter if your megachurch pastor decides to preach on this or not, because you've already bought it hook, line, and sinker. But a lot of preachers do tend to shy away from the term in love when it comes to the relationship that people are expected to have with Christ. But it doesn't matter what verbiage they use. The messaging is still there in the ways that I just described and in more that I'm going to get into in a few. I mean, think about it. We're told to look at ourselves as Christ's bride. Hmm. We're told that Jesus is our everything, our comfort, our protection, our peace, our savior, and more. We're told that he loves us more than his own life. And then there's the whole part of husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a direct comparison to what this thing is supposed to look like. We hear these words and this theme throughout Christian music, both CCM and in worship songs. One of the things that jumped immediately into my mind when I decided to pursue this particular topic was a song by Kenny Marks called Make It Right. And this was a song that I played a lot when I was doing Christian radio. A couple of these I yeah. got a lot of mileage out of, but this was a big one. This is a song about the flaws in human love and the perfect love we could have in Jesus. No, I'm not kidding. The chorus is simply the phrase, make it right, fall in love with Jesus tonight. And if you look up the words or just look up the video on YouTube, there's a lot more cringeworthy stuff in there. <laughs> a lot more. Another one that came to mind as I was just going over my notes was a song by David and the Giants called Here's My Heart, which got a little bit of secular play back in the day. It was popular for about five minutes and purely by accident. <laughs> but when I think about the chorus to that song, here's my heart, here's my soul, here's something only you can hold. You're the one that was true when my life seemed it was through. Here is the peace that you've always been missing. Savior, here's my heart. Mm -hmm. And the examples just get sappier from there. We sang worship choruses with lyrics like, I keep falling in love with him over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I just gets sappier and sappier. Mm -hmm. I love to love you. Oh, Lord, my God, I love to love you as the deer panteth for the water. And this is a direct quote from the Psalms, I know, but just in the context of this sappy torch songy yeah. worship chorus, yeah. as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Then this song came off of one of the Integrity Hosanna CDs, like yeah. early 90s, early or mid 90s. There was a song called Arms of Love that I heard a few times in worship services also. My heart is glad that you call me your own. There is no place I'd rather be than in your arms of love, holding me still and holding me near in your arms of love. And one that I used to really like. This one I, I liked a lot. And again, showed up in worship services at that one particular church that we went to in New York quite a bit. It was a song by Delirious called Deeper. And the wonder of it all is that I'm living just to fall more in love with you. And there's the phrase right there in black and white. And again, from Michael W. Smith, I'm deep in love with you, Abba Father. I'm deep in love with you, Lord. My heart beats for you, precious Jesus. I'm deep in love with you, Lord. 
And incidentally, it was Michael W. Smith who also had a secular crossover hit called Somebody Love Me. So it would appear that Jesus doesn't always reciprocate our feelings. Shocking. Uh And there are so many more examples. So many more. Just doing a simple Google search, I came up with this Spotify playlist that has like so many songs that follow this theme just to give you an an idea jesus lover of my soul which uh it's a hill songs worship song i definitely remember that one write your love on my heart you are my all in all so in love with you falling in love jesus at the center i adore it just keeps going on and on and on and just the cringe factor increases as you go i knew people and it goes far beyond just this concept of being in love. I knew people who claimed to be married to Jesus, one who even wore a wedding band and yeah. everything. He was one of the first people I met at Valley Farce. Um, great guy. I l- really, really like this guy. This was one of the good eggs. And I remember asking him about the wedding band because I just assumed that he was one of the married students. And yet he was in my dorm. And that didn't make any sense to me. So, of course, he explained that the wedding band was a covenant that he was in with Jesus, that he was ostensibly married to Jesus. This was a man, a heterosexual man, wearing a wedding band to signify his marriage to Jesus. Okay. Well, things did change a little bit for this guy. He met this hot redhead during his sophomore year. And suddenly, God had other plans, and so did his dick. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to badmouth him. This, no. this is this is human nature that we're talking about right. here. And he just figured out that Jesus was not going to be what he wanted to cuddle up with at night for the rest of his life. That really was it, and who could blame him? And you know what? I remember his fiance, and who could blame him? I'm sorry, but uh, he he did well. He really did. I stopped short of asking him if he intended to tell the pastors and search committees he interviewed with if he intended to disclose the details of his divorce from Jesus, but that was only because he was always nice to me. He was one of the good eggs, just very, very, very drunk on the Kool-Aid, and that was his mindset when he arrived on campus, and then he found a girl he wanted to fuck, and that was the end of his marriage to Jesus. Hypocritical from an evangelical standpoint, but perfectly normal, acceptable, and understandable from any humanistic standpoint. And this concept of being married to Jesus isn't at all unique. You can buy your own Jesus-branded wedding rings and everything. This is a decision a lot of people make before they find somebody they want to fuck. Um, But seriously, here you go. There's a link in the show description to an Etsy page where you can literally buy your own Jesus wedding ring. I'm not endorsing these people. I am not sponsored by these people. It's just a matter of example and just to show that this shit really is out there. Yeah. So what is the actual psychology of this? What is falling in love in more specific terms and how does it equate in a deeper way to the experience of being born again so much that there are virtually countless songs, sermons, and more about it? Oddly enough, I found a great article at Glamour.com, we're talking Glamour Magazine, about the major signs that you're falling in love, and you will be amazed at how many of them tie directly into evangelical conversion methods and the things believers equate with their Christian walk. I mean, this is basically the quintessential Cosmo survey type of thing. And I didn't really expect to find much there, but as I scrolled through all of these things, it hit me like a ton of lead how many tie-ins there were right between what this article says about falling in love and the way that they bring this about the way that they start making your brain work in this way now of course not every one of these on the list that again also in the show notes but not everything on the list made it into mine I basically decided to stick with the ones that required the least reach to make connections with, although I'm pretty sure I could treat the rest like tarot cards and pull meaning out of them too. 
as for pure psychology and how it plays in, I think that these are the best connectors and there are quite a few. So these are the bullet points and my take on them from an evangelical standpoint. You feel adventurous. Okay, taking that first gutsy step and going down to the altar can feel like an adventure. The new believer has probably also been courted with notions like heaven and all the new experiences that they'll have as Christians. Good preachers know how to spin this angle as well as they know how to use the threat of hell as a motivator. I saw plenty of both, especially as a teenager. You have your whole life in Christ ahead of you was a huge selling point, and they would give examples, many of which involved things like youth missions work and, yes, full-time Christian ministry. When you get older, it becomes about you have fewer years ahead than behind. Think of the things you've been through, the trials, the failures, the disappointments. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. Sell the adventure and downplay the cost. You're intensely curious about the religion. And I put the about religion part in there myself. In terms of just falling in love, it means curiosity with this other person. Well, the other person in this instance is Jesus. Here is where they start pelting you with all the ways you can get involved. Church programs, Bible studies, home groups, other events. Many evangelical church foyers are dedicated to self-promotion. So you know, walking through the doors, that this is an active, alive church that has stuff going on. And new converts, let me tell you, new converts make the most willing volunteers, participants, and tithers. And that's significant and it's deliberate next you feel his pain and again i adjusted that a little bit just to fit the conversation but you you feel the pain of jesus you you empathize and it does something to you to think about what he did for you they drive the concept of christ's suffering to pay the debt for sin i also saw this a lot especially at christian cinema in ambler they would show a scene from a popular Jesus movie where Jesus is being marched to Golgotha and you follow him through the Via Dolorosa right to the site of the crucifixion and you get to see blood. You get to see him drop the cross. You get the public mocking and spitting and jabbing and then the inevitable cross nailing and raising the cross and all of that, all while this guy would relay the salvation message and why you needed to accept Jesus. This is done to establish or reinforce an existing emotional bond with Christ. And even in the more cheesy depictions of this, mm -hmm. there can be some real emotional moments oh, yeah. for a lot of people. Sometimes it doesn't even take a good visual, just a visual, to start putting these thoughts in their head of, this is what this man did for me. How can I not love him? Right. Another quote-unquote love song that I used to play like crazy at the radio station was a song by John Elefante called No One's Ever Died For Me Before. And this is a song with lines like, I thought I knew love till you came along. And that thought, to me anyway, elicits feelings of, I've never felt this way before, which is something I say each and every time I fall in love. And, you know, it's true every single time because every time is different. Here is this new thing with its new approach and its new set of circumstances revolving around a new person leading up to an intense emotional response and that ache, that desire to know more about this person and to love them and please them just gets stronger. And that's what this song and a lot of others like it are all about. And just like straight up love songs, there are loads of songs that keep the intensity of Christ's sacrifice front and center. Two that I used a lot in my ministry dealings were The Cross Was His Own by Veil of Ashes and Beautiful Scandalous Night by the Choir. The word beautiful in there being one of the key factors in how we were supposed to see this. Christ's sacrifice was beautiful because love is beautiful and being in love is beautiful. And this is what he did for me and this is how I should respond to it. Then there were songs that were even more overwrought, like Rise Again by Larnell Harris. There are about 20 versions of this song out there though so you may have heard it from another source if, if you've been in this thing long enough i'm certain that it's been part of the special music in your church at least yeah. once 
Even some Christmas songs zero in on Christ's suffering as something to consider at his nativity. I wonder as I wander, coming fast to mind. And then there is a lesser known verse in O Holy Night that talks about Christ paying for our sins. So even in the context of his birth, they want you thinking about his death because mm-hmm. that's the thing that's going to really make you love him. Not that he was a baby. There's lots of babies. But the fact that he grew up and only had 33 years on this earth and this is what he did at the end of his time here for you, it is very impactful. So they use what works. They use what makes sense in this context to get you thinking that way. And the next thing on Glamour's list is that you're full of quote unquote date ideas. And yeah, this is one of the reachier ones, but I do think that it fits. You're super motivated to do anything church related. The new believer wants that energy and connection, and they want to feel as close to Jesus as possible. And that means doing stuff with the church doing stuff with the church, doing stuff with your significant other. What's the Mm. difference? You forget your other priorities. That's the next one. My, you know, my teenage existence went out the window and my entire life started centering on church the summer of my 13th year, 13 years old. And my adolescence was basically done. Everything started focusing on this and Any priority that I had for people outside church, yeah, completely out the window. They had several on the list following that about sexuality, which I am skipping because honestly, if I'm going to be completely truthful here, I seriously do not think that there are any Christians out there, even the crazier evangelicals out there, for whom the thought of fucking Jesus even enters their mind or the equation. But maybe the mind fucking you get once you're in the relationship qualifies most christians aren't interested in giving it up for their lord unless they're just that crazy unless that's where they're at in their head and i honestly never met one next thing you feel positive about the future well of course you do you've just been fed a line about an eternity that even the bible refuses to back up and you feel good about living a life worthy of the prize i felt very positive about my future, particularly as it pertained to going into the ministry. Nothing but positive vibes. I had nothing but good things to say about Valley Farce when I first went there and checked the place out, even though it was already falling apart, even though there were so many red flags just on that first meeting, I did not let myself dwell on those things. I literally loved this place and wanted to be there. Next, you're worried Well, that's kind of odd. It's kind of an odd thing to think about when you're falling in love, but it fits. New believers worry about pleasing the Lord. They want to be loved back. Then there are the uncertainties of changing sinful parts of their lifestyle and whether or not they'll ever feel worthy of Christ. Some also fear rejection by their families, but also romanticize over the bliss that comes from having a relationship with Christ the whole present sufferings versus future glories thing. And that does sustain a lot of them. It does help them feel better when there are people in their life telling them this really isn't a good idea. And, you know, it's the classic abusive relationship scenario where everyone around you is trying to get you to understand, you know, this is not something that you really want to do. It's not a relationship that you want to be in, but you're so single-minded because you're so driven by this notion of what this relationship can be that you don't even hear them. Yeah. You don't give any deference to anything that they're saying. And I can relate to that one too. You can only focus on your next date is the next one on their list. And all I could think of there is, well, or church function or church service or anything that's going to put you back in that environment. Mm -hmm. Like now you're glued to your phone or instead of your phone and and sitting there and texting back and forth until three o'clock in the morning, you get really, really, really into your Bible for a while. And that yeah. does happen a lot. Most Christians don't read their Bible from sun, from the time they leave church on Sunday to the time they go back the following Sunday. But most go through this honeymoon period where they're interested in what it has to say, but they're also interested in reading things that they want to see. Right. So they bounce around a lot and they just feel like they're getting their fix. They usually stick with the New Testament and they get their little fix. And that's good for a little while. It's usually pretty short-lived. 
it becomes more of an abstract thing very, very quickly. Next, you feel invincible. This right here is one of the most dangerous emotions when it comes to falling in love because it makes us blind to all the red flags that would be and often are obvious to an outside observer. The dopamine and norepinephrine are the key culprits with this one because they start making us think in a very linear way about this person that we have fallen in love with, whether that person has flesh and blood or if he only exists in the pages of a book. And, you know, Jesus isn't the only fictional character that people have fallen in love with. Mm. True. Oh, I like this one. And, and I can kind of relate to this one. You've been smiling at your phone a lot. You can't stop smiling. Evangelicals have a certain vacant ignorance is bliss visage about them quite a bit. My mother used to say it was the joy of the Lord. Now I know that it's just the absence of critical thought and a disconnect from reality, much like when we fall in love. You know, the whole I'll stop the world and melt with you kind of mentality where everything else around you disappears and it's just you and this person that you have formed this bond with and nothing else in your world matters for a while. You feel more love for others. The new believer craves connection with the greater church community and involvement with them in this shared romance with Jesus. So it's the excitement of the date or church function, but it's also the bond with the people. You see, they don't understand that this is what they're really falling in love with and that Jesus is just the uh, the figurehead for this whole intricate thing that becomes their relationship with Christ. The relationship is not with Christ. It's with the concept of church and the people that are in their church. That's what they're really craving is that connection with those people. But since Jesus is the common thread in all of these interactions, it's easy to take those emotions and put them in that one place instead of a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there with this person and that person. All of a sudden, it has this one face to it. And people don't realize that it's the human element that they're actually craving. Oh, I can relate to this one too. You're not as perceptive. And I think I mentioned a little bit about this just a second ago. Back to ignoring the red flags. Jesus is presented as all-powerful, flawless, and invincible. When someone falls in love with another actual person, even if the other person is a box of red flags thrown from a train wreck, we only see their good qualities and make every excuse in the book for their flaws. There's a built-in system of guilt and shame in Christianity that keeps the believer's gaze steadied on the best attributes of their Savior while downplaying that he and Yahweh are supposedly one and the same and that neither of them are exactly champions of peace or virtue. And that is putting it very, very lightly. Next, you daydream. The new believer spends a lot of time contemplating their relationship with Christ and it can even interfere with work and other relationships for at least a little while. Next, you feel like a better person. Well, the believer is told that's part of becoming a Christian, aren't they? They are a new creation. The abundant life aspect of things is a huge draw and a powerful anchor for keeping the feels flowing long after that first altar call. Next, you believe that things will last forever. Also, the point of the salvation message, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I'm saved and I'm saved forever. And Jesus did this for me. He died for me. I'll live for him and whatever other cliches you want to throw out there. Next, you feel safe. What was that about your arms of love and security and all of that? And do you see where all those correlations are? It's kind of scary. And I have to believe that it's deliberate. Yeah. Whether these people thought about it directly or not, they at least had enough of an understanding about themselves to frame all of this stuff in this way. And it all leads to this notion of being in love, in love with Jesus. Now, there definitely is something to this. The Emotions and the feelings and the release of chemicals, all of these things are real. These feelings are real. It's just that they're directed at something that isn't. But just to 
make the matter just a little bit clearer and a little bit more certain, I want to talk again, because I know I brought this up in another recent episode. I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about a little thing called new relationship energy. This is a thing that happens both when we fall in love and when we get saved. People go through this gung-ho phase at the very beginning, and that is what this is. And basically, new relationship energy, if anybody needs a definition of this, it's just that super duper happy feeling that you get when you find somebody that you really like and you start falling in love and you just want to be around them all the time. You want to talk to them. You want to see them. You want to hear their voice. You want to touch them. You want all of this stuff. And it's intense. And for a a little while, it can be very, very all-consuming inside your head. And some people cling to NREs for a long time. And I think that in the context of this, they're cultivated to last a lot longer. Years sometimes, decades sometimes. Now, for the vast majority, and this is why church numbers don't really grow exponentially, because if this is all it took then they would have a lot more people roped in hook, line, and sinker. But for quite a few people out there, the emotional stimulation starts to wear off on the drive home from church. They have this high when they're actually around people and when the music is playing and when their emotions are being jabbed at. But as soon as it's just them in the car and they turn on that secular radio station on their way home, it starts to diminish inside their head. And you know what? These people, in my opinion, are the lucky ones. They quickly lose interest and get back to having a life because their brain just starts rationalizing what just happened to them. And they realize that there's really no anchor, no real tangible anchor for any of this. And they just stop thinking about it. But too many others stay, cultivate the feelings and slump deeper into their delusions and keep getting themselves emotionally redirected to all of the above. They backslide. They come back to the Lord and the cycle repeats. Those NREs are raised in them again. Now they're happy because, oh, I'm so glad I got all this off my chest and I'm so glad that I'm in good with God again. And this happens over and over and over and over again. And I honestly believe that this is part of the reason why so many people keep going back to the altar to rededicate their lives because they want to recapture a little bit of that new relationship energy that they knew when they first got saved. Because as one of my good friends put it to me very, very recently, NRE is a drug. Oh, yeah. It's, it's actually several <laughs> that your body makes. Um, make no mistake about it, though. These people know what they're doing. They understand the psychology and they use it to keep people plugged in. They perpetuate the notion of being in love with Jesus as a means of keeping people anchored to the concept. Like I said... This is a largely non-sexual thing, but it isn't exactly platonic either. Plenty of believers romanticize their relationships with Christ, but also have no issues developing sexual feelings for another person and acting on them. People have affairs without ever having sex. They're called emotional affairs because the depth of emotional involvement can actually transcend sexual needs to the point where sex is no longer necessary or it's too complicated to work out. So mental and emotional substitutions start being made in the minds of the people involved. This is the kind of bond that far too many believers feel between themselves and Jesus. It's an emotional affair. And since that relationship isn't sexual, it's justifiable, as is wanting to have sex with someone else or entering into this intensely emotional relationship with Jesus if you're already married or involved with someone else. It's okay because it's a different kind of in love, at least in their heads it is. It really isn't. It's amazing to me how Christians decry things like polyamory and yet prove through their own lifestyles, that they too can be in love with more than one person at the same time. And yes, it's a very real and possible thing that a lot of people do. It's just that some people are more honest about it than others. Because, yeah, if you claim to be in love with Jesus to the point where you will wear a wedding band Mm -hmm. signifying that you are married to him, and then you meet someone else who is actually human, actually has a pulse, and actually turns you on, then 
most people, most evangelicals who think this way have no problem whatsoever making that separation and staying, quote unquote, in love with Jesus and then building a life with this other person. It's hypocrisy, pure and simple, the way that they think about it, and then turn around and tell people that this is not the way that they can think, behave, act, or live their life. Anytime, any time you intentionally manipulate someone's emotions, it's emotional abuse. That's what this is. And it's just another example of how evangelical faith weaponizes human nature to its own end. It starts with the initial introduction of the gospel. It's made to look good. It's made to look desirable. They don't want you to believe the gospel. They want you to bond with it. They want you to bond with your savior. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. They don't even try to hide it. Decrease so he can increase. Jesus is the only person in your life who truly matters. He died for you. Now live for him and love him. Fall in love with him. And yes, plenty of pastors shy away from directly promoting this idea, but there are also plenty who use it as a foundation for how they present the gospel. And even if they don't want to admit it, I think we've shown in a very compelling way how the concept is perpetuated even if the believer is never directly told that falling in love with Jesus is a good idea. Love as a concept is one that we as people should embrace, but we must be careful where we channel it and intellectual involvement in the process is crucial. And even though it's a veiled message about abstinence, I like the messaging in Amy Grant's song, Wise Up, about the dangers of letting your emotions govern how you approach love. You better wise up, you better think smart, and use your head to guard your heart. There's a lot of truth in those two simple lines. When it comes to falling in love with anyone or anything, caution and rationalization are vital elements to guarding our emotions. If you're coming out of evangelical faith and can't figure out why you found yourself so deep in the Kool-Aid, I hope you get it a little better now, and I hope you realize that it wasn't your fault. It was their fault for using your normal, healthy, and necessary human tendencies against you. And as for falling in love in general, well, I think most would agree with me that it's way better with someone who loves you back. What has Jesus done for you lately? What has Jesus done for you lately? What has he done to maintain your devotion? Keep in mind that the reasons why we fall in love matter every bit as much as the process itself. When was the last time you felt safe and secure from all alarms? When was the last time you felt content in his arms of love? Finally, not every person we fall for deserves our devotion, and we tend to make lots of mistakes when it comes to our emotions, especially love, and we make a lot of excuses for people when they don't love us back. The question is, what do we learn from those experiences? What did falling in love with Jesus teach you? If you're still in this thing, what is Jesus putting into the relationship aside from this nebulous promise of fire insurance? What comfort does he really provide? What security does he really provide? Where is this hedge of protection that's supposed to be around you when you're safe in his arms of love? What does he do daily, daily to keep earning your devotion? If you're honest with yourself, you'll admit that all the expense of emotion in this relationship is coming from you. Jesus can't love you. You know why? Because he isn't real. Love, on the other hand, is very real and should be experienced in real ways. Falling in love is awesome most of the time. Most of the time. It can rip you apart too, but most of the time it's pretty awesome. Experience it for yourself and experience it with the person or people who make you feel complete and happy. Once you get used to the idea of receiving love on the same level that you give, and that is so important, never love someone more than they're willing to love you back. 
I'm just putting that out there. But once you get used to the idea of receiving love on the same level you give, you'll understand the imbalance that exists with being in love with Jesus. You'll start insisting on better. You will. You'll understand how vitally important it is to be truly happy in your love relationships. And here's the most important part. You'll be one more crucial step ahead in your journey to getting and staying unbound. enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.